The word of Christ from the Gospel of Matthew. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed Jesus. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus turned and said, Go, let it be done to you, for you, as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear it. We pray that your spirit would move among us. We pray all this. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So yesterday I flew down to Tampa uh, for Bob's funeral. And um, shortly after arriving in Tampa, uh, right off the plane really, um, over the loudspeaker came a familiar voice making a familiar announcement. If you've flown in the last, what, 20 years or Probably more than that. I don't know if this is a post-9-11 thing or if it's just a kind of a modern air travel thing. But that familiar voice, that familiar announcement, for your safety, please report any abandoned bags. For your safety, please report any abandoned bags. I came out of the bathroom because I heard the announcement while I had run into the restroom real quickly. And so... As I'm walking out, I kid you not, right on cue, I've never seen this happen, happening. 
I'm talking like 10 seconds after the announcement came. There came running a lady. She made a beeline to a nearby security guard and urgently announced, excuse me, excuse me, there's an abandoned bag in the bathroom. It was kind of weird, to be honest. There were no hysterics. Nobody was like, ah! But she heard the announcement. She immediately found the guard. There's one over here. Notice the announcement said, for your safety. Not for the safety of others, but for your safety. The appeal is personal. It's for you. Because self-interest and self-protection is a given. That's what we do. We take an interest in ourselves. We watch out for ourselves. We protect ourselves. We guard ourselves. And so if you want someone to act, the appeal is not for the general good of others. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for the guy you've never met. It's for you, for your safety. Make sure you report anything suspicious around you. It's the air we breathe. It's just how we live in the world. We look out for ourselves. We watch out for number one. We make sure we're protected, that we're guarded, that we're provided for, that our needs are met. This was not always so. Well, in large part, it was always so because people have always been self-interested. But in the ancient world, before the Enlightenment, concern, greater concern was placed on the community on one's family, on one's posterity, even children that have not yet been born. That's where all of the interest was laid. Not on the self. There was no such thing as the self. Such an abstract concept. But the community was put over the individual. People over a person. And yet that doesn't show the whole picture because it doesn't tell the whole story. It's a bit too simplistic. People have always been self-interested. They've always been self-protecting. That was the appeal of the serpent in the garden. God's holding something out from you. You can have something that He doesn't want you to have. But Jesus throughout the Gospels, seems to have zero regard for himself. He gets tired and needs rest, but he sees the crowds and he just gives more. He certainly is not interested in his own safety. That's not why he came. He came to give himself away. But we think of the cross as being the sign of his other interestedness. That it's in the cross of Jesus that he gives himself away, that he pours himself out. And yes, he does, but that's not it. That's not the whole story. That's not the complete picture. Truly, the entire trajectory of his life, every interaction he had with others, it was all directed outwardly. 
The cross is not just about the death of Christ. No, the light of his resurrection casts a shadow of the cross backward. The shadow of the cross falls back over the entire life of Christ so that everywhere you look, you find Jesus giving himself away. It's interesting that the prophet Isaiah in the passage Imogene read just a short while ago says that if you pour yourself out, it's an interesting phraseology, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, it's then that your light shines. To pour yourself out. We don't think of it in those terms. We think, oh, the hungry, I need to go find a meal. We're like the disciples. These people are hungry. What's the solution? Where are we going to get the money to buy all these groceries? And Jesus turns to them and says, you do something. You have the people sit down. I'm going to put you to work. You're going to be poured out. You remember Matthew captures the words of Jesus in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine. How does your light shine? When you pour yourself out for the hungry, for those who are needy, for those who are without. We don't like to be poured out though, but that's, that's the entirety of the gospel of Christ is Him pouring Himself out more and more day after day, week after week. His concern is always directed toward others. And having loved them, he loved them to the very end. To the bitter end. All the way in and on and through the cross. And not just the twelve, mind you. Chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew's Gospel consist of ten stories of miracles. Woven into these stories are a couple of passages of Jesus teaching about discipleship. What it means to be a disciple, the implications, the demands, and whatnot. And the calling of others to be his disciples. It's in that context that he calls Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, from his tax booth. And goes and celebrates with his other tax collector friends. Teaching again and calling toward discipleship. These ten miracle stories underscore not just the power of Jesus to heal and deliver. They do do that. But also, they underscore the comprehensiveness of his authority. He has authority not just over disease and injury, but also over demons, fallen angels, and nature. The Sermon on the Mount ends. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, having 
given us the Sermon on the Mount, filled with all of its teaching about all of the complexities of life, all of the categories of life, marriage and prayer and enemies and love and giving and all of it. Now Matthew wants us to see that Jesus' authority was far more than just about his teaching. As Lord of all, his authority knows no bounds. Not only that, but these miracles also highlight and bring to the forefront the, the mission of Jesus to relieve suffering, to bring wholeness, to heal all that's hurting, all that's broken. To put the broken world back together. To bring about new creation. And you know what? There's something else happening in these stories. Jesus' miracles aren't just for the twelve. In fact, not a one of them is directed to the twelve. Instead, in all of them... He's directing the eyes, directing the gaze of the twelve toward others. And not even the others that we might would expect if we were those twelve. In fact, it's perhaps because of that that one of the twelve will abandon him. This is not what I signed up for. Not only are they not just for the twelve, they aren't even for the men only. And they aren't just for Israel either. And they certainly aren't just for people whose lives are pretty well intact and under control. After all, it's not the healthy who need a physician. And so here we find Jesus heals a Gentile, an outsider, an oppressor, someone with power who knows how to wield that power. It's interesting, it's kind of ironic even in the text that the centurion tells him, Lord, I, I see that you've got an awful lot of authority that is power. The two are interchangeable terms. I see you've got an awful lot of power and you can wield it well. I too know what it's like to wield power. When I say something is going to happen, by golly, it's going to happen. Without question, without hesitation. But I've got a problem I can't fix. I've got something that my power can do nothing to make right. He heals a Gentile. Here, Jesus also heals a woman. Someone largely forgettable in such a society. But it goes even beyond those categories. Here, Jesus touches a leper, an unclean one. 
and the Lord of all creation touches the leper. And he's healed. He's not afraid of being made unclean. He comes into an unclean world to engage an unclean world, to heal an unclean world. Jesus goes to the very people we'd rather avoid. The people we would rather ignore and wish just weren't there or even brought to Him. Demon-oppressed people. Later on in the chapter, as you move through these two chapters, 8 and 9, you'll find that He goes out into a land that's unclean. where tombs are, where pigs dwell, to cast out unclean spirits. It's there that Jesus goes. It's there that you find Him. Jesus goes to the very people we'd rather avoid, that we'd rather forget about, that we'd rather be able to ignore. Bill, yesterday I was in the Atlanta airport, and man, the Atlanta airport is totally different than any other airport. It's astonishing how much busier it is. Because I'm thinking Tampa is a big place. Man, they're dinky little airport. They don't know about security like Atlanta knows about security. We're getting sniffed down by dogs and whatnot, and we're spending half an hour in the cattle, you know, the little cattle corrals, mooing it, making our way for it. Everybody's kind of ignoring each other. Nobody wants to make eye contact. Everybody's got the earbuds in and looking down at their phones and whatnot. And there's this guy that I can't help but notice. He's got his earbuds in and he is, I mean, full on gangsta. He is rapping out loud, like pointing his fingers like he's got guns or something. I mean, it was the strangest thing in the line, in the security check. And he is throwing down Austin. I mean, he's dropping low and whatnot. It's, it's strange. It's really strange. And everyone is just looking down, ignoring him, letting him do his thing. He's bebopping along as the line's moving forward. He's, I think he's bumping into folks even. And, um, and white guy, totally, totally a white guy, right? And uh, it, was, it was really interesting. And I, of course, thought, what a weirdo. Why would you be doing that in, pub in public and in the security line? Like, calm down, man. Keep it to yourself. Later on that day, I was thinking back about how strange that was. And I thought, shame on you, Godbold. What if he's terribly nervous and he is like in his own world listening to some jams that really kind of get him relaxed? He's clearly relaxed. He's either really wound up or he's really relaxed. But maybe he's just terribly nervous, petrified. Perhaps he's terribly medicated. I don't know what's going on in his life. I don't know what his background is. I don't know what's got him going 
all gangsta mode in the security line at the Atlanta airport. Nobody ever shook him down, by the way. Like, nobody ever, like, security didn't come over like, hey, man, what is, calm down. What, are you, what is up with you? Um, perhaps he's terribly lonely. He's in his own world. He's listened to his own music. Unaware, trying to be unaware of those around him because he's just alone. Or perhaps he's just enjoying some sick lyrics by a dope yet orthodox Christian artist. I don't know. I have no clue. But I do know that I thought he is a weirdo and he's acting strange and it's kind of uncomfortable to be around. That's why I thought, shame on you. We often hear about the church being a hospital for the sick. It's interesting, the, the idea of a hospital. It, it, yes, it's a place of healing, but it's also where we get the term hospitable. It is where we make room, where we create space. Toward healing, of course, but even when we are hospitable people in our homes, bringing folks in, trying to make them comfortable. It's for a sort of healing, whether it's interpersonal friendship and dialogue together, relaxing, reconnecting, just providing a place to stay and rest. It, there is a healing element to it. But it's necessary that that space is made, that room is made. But hospitableness or hospitality, making room for others in our lives toward healing, it involves and requires a few things. It involves nearness. When you make room, you're making room around yourself for others to draw near. And often our lives are filled with people that we run up against that we get near to, like the guy acting strange in the security check at the Atlanta airport. We get near people prox, prox, in, in, in regards to proximity, but what do we do? We disconnect, we shut down, we shelter ourselves because... Hospitableness also requires presence. Now, presence and nearness sound similar, and they are similar, but they are not the same thing. Proximity and presence are not really the same. They are not one and the same, at least. Presence necessarily involves attention, the engagement of the will. It's possible to be near suffering and to simply look away. It's possible to be near those who are crying out for help and to instead put your earbuds in and listen to something else so as to not be disturbed or worse, to be made uncomfortable. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for presence is face. Anytime you read that abstract English word in your Old Testament, 
presence. You should keep in mind that it's most likely the very concrete, very enfleshed, very embodied Hebrew word face. To make room for others in our lives, which is precisely what Jesus does in the gospel. For those who are demon-possessed, for those who are diseased, for those who are just sick, for those who are outsiders, for those who we would rather forget about and ignore and pretend they just don't exist. We have to turn our faces toward them. Which means that hospitableness requires not just nearness and not just presence, but also a certain vulnerability, a risk, a willingness to engage, a willingness to be uncomfortable, a willingness to be disrupted and disturbed. But that's precisely what we see as Jesus engages the multitudes and the hurt and the hurting. When I was back on the ground in Atlanta at the end of the day, I noticed something, or I noticed someone giving me a, a strange eye. They were weirdo. And then I realized that I was whistling. <laughs> Just walking through the airport whistling. I was probably making her uncomfortable, which is probably why she gave me that weird eye. I was happy to be home. But she would probably just rather avoid me. What's this strange person doing whistling headed toward the stairs of the airport? Lesson learned. We're all a bit weird. We all have our problems and we can all, at certain times, be a bit uncomfortable to be around. And yet Jesus always steps into the discomfort. Whether it's sickness or just silliness. Even if it's demonization. If it's relational brokenness or it's just weirdness, Jesus shows up. And he's the one whose very hospitable presence creates the possibility for all things to be made new. Every category of life, every category of of brokenness. Every bit of it, Matthew is giving us these stories to say Jesus is sufficient. His authority knows no bounds. He can speak to the waves and calm them. He can drive out the demons just by saying a word. 
He doesn't even have to be there to show up and have a paralyzed man regain his ability to move. It's this type of Lord who is made manifest to us, who is given to us. It is a given in our world that we are so concerned about ourselves that we often keep others at a distance. But the one who was given for us, it is a given that he steps into all of that. He draws near to all of it and gives himself away. The context into which Jesus, the Lord of all creation, is manifest is the complexity and the variety of human brokenness. All of the splendoredness, all of the fracturedness. He gives himself away. And in his giving himself away, all things are being put back together. Father, we thank you for giving your son. Jesus, we thank you for not keeping illness or brokenness, oppression or any of that at a distance from you, but for giving yourself to us in it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow in your steps, to give ourselves away. And Lord, we pray that in, in our brokenness, whatever it might look like, that you would help us to turn toward you, to trust you, to invite you in, that we might be healed. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.